I'm Kurt, I'm a parent, and this is the Parent Skills Podcast. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back. This week, we've got our second part in our two-part interview that I did with the guys from the Doable Discipleship Podcast. Um, If you didn't listen to the episode prior to this, before you listen to this one, I would highly encourage you to go back one episode so that you can listen to episode one of my interview with the guys from the Doable Discipleship Podcast here at Saddleback Church. In that first part, um, we started talking about how do we as parents disciple our kids? What is our role in that? It was a rather lengthy interview, so we decided to break it up into two parts. Hopefully you heard part one. Let's jump in right now and listen to part two of my interview with the Doable Discipleship Podcast. So what would you say, Kurt, are some of the most common or biggest pitfalls that, that parents often can find themselves in? Oh, the most common pitfalls. Where to begin? Where to begin? Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say that one one common, maybe the most common, is forgetting what it was like to be a kid themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not a lack of love. I would say maybe it's a lack of empathy mm. because they just can't remember. Mm-hmm. And and when we can't remember what it was like to be in fourth grade, which naturally we don't remember most of it. Yeah. Um, it's it's way harder to empathize and sort of put ourselves in the shoes of our fourth grade child mm. when you can't remember all the peer pressure and all the struggles and all the conflict in your home as a teenager. Mm. Well, then it's much harder as a parent to have patience and empathy for our teenagers who are going through all that stuff. Yeah, um, I would encourage parents to maybe not you know, how do you go back to being five months old? What yeah. was it like? Yeah. Um, but at a certain point, a spe- you know, where, where so much of the parenting strife kicks in. Now, there's always parenting strife, bedtime, all that stuff. Um, but where a lot of it starts to crank up is in that sort of that preteen. So maybe that 10 to 18, those eight years, mm. man, oh man, that's where parents, in, in my experience as a youth pastor, um, that's where it it, it just gets to, you know, it goes to an 11. Yeah. But, but getting a little time machine and go back and like in your mind, walk the halls of your elementary school when you were in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Think about your typical struggles when you were in 10th grade mm-hmm. and how your parents responded to them. How would you have liked them to respond? Mm-hmm. What did you fight with your parents about? What were your pushbacks? How much independence did you want? Mm-hmm. How, how excited were you when they asked 35 questions the moment you walked in the door, right? Um, <laughs> no, tell me about your day. Don't just say fine. Yeah, don't just say fine. So I think a, a forgetting what it was like mm. is, a, is a big pitfall. If you can remember what it was like, your empathy just grows. That's a really um, good one. And then I'll, I'll, I'll say one more thing is I think um, a mistake or a pitfall parents make is their desire to have open communication because every expert and every parent who's my age would say, man, communication with your kids is number one. Mm. Like keep those communication lines open. If your kids are talking to you, that's a good thing. A mistake parents often make is in attempts to keep the communication lines open, they actually close them down. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is they actually close communication down in one of two ways, how they respond so they want to be open, but they 
they they respond too aggressively. Yeah, they can't keep it together. Right? They can't keep it together. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, I like to tell parents, hey, freak out on the inside, but yeah. stay calm on the outside. <laughs> or freak out after. <laughs> or freak out <laughs> after the fact. But in the moment, you know, you just, you respond like, because if your child is sharing stuff with you, that's really good, good, good. It's all not, it's not all good news what they're yeah. sharing, but it's good news that they're sharing. And, yeah. and how we respond oftentimes ultimately shuts down the communication, even though we don't want it to. Yeah. The other is forcing conversation when we want it to happen instead mm. of when they're open to it. Mm. So in my experience, everybody has what I would call a window of conversation. Mm. And that is times when they are, their window is more open to talking. My daughter's window of conversation when she was little was on the way home from school in the car. That was just when she was more open to talking. She liked to debrief and talk about her day on the way home from school. Mm-hmm. Our son wanted to get in the car and fall asleep. Hmm. His window of conversation was at bedtime during the bedtime routine. Hmm. And what will happen is parents want to have conversation, especially the serious conversations, when they feel the most urgency and when their window, their personal window is open. Mm-hmm. So mom wants to talk on the way home from school because she's got a captive audience, but she's trying to force the window open Mm. and the kid's trying to force it closed because they just want 15 minutes of, of headphones or 15 minutes to take a Mm -hmm. nap or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, Or they, the dad doesn't realize that, man, if I just spent 10 minutes up in my daughter's bedroom or my son's bedroom during the the bedtime routine, all of a sudden they're going to open up. Yeah. And they're going to start talking. But mm. that's not when his window's open. He wants to watch CNN or whatever, right? Yeah. So he doesn't crawl through the window of conversation when it's wide open. Um, so I would just encourage parents, don't really pay that much attention. You're the mature one. You're the older one. Your window of conversation isn't that important. It's when when does your child seem the most open mm. to conversations? And the more serious the conversation is going to be, the more attention you need to pay for that. Now, if you want to talk about, hey, I want to raise your allowance, the, the, their, their window is going to open. It doesn't matter when. <laughs> Anytime's you, a good time. Anytime's yeah. a good time. But if you're going to, if you're going to have a more serious conversation, yeah. um, you need to really pay attention to when their window is open. And that goes back mm-hmm. to what you're talking about with selfishness thing is it's not around your schedule. It's, it's right. you really need to adjust accordingly because there's, because those times are precious and valuable and uh, make those adjustments. And it, it, it's tough. We're busy. We got our own lives. We got our own stresses, our own concerns. It's tough to go back. It goes back to the selfish thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we decided to have kids, when we were gifted with kids, the rules of the game changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The rules of the game changed. And now it's about them. It's not about me. Yeah. Yeah. And you find yourself, I mean, like you said, it goes back to the selfishness idea that now it's easy to look at kids, especially young kids like I've got and be like, you're upset because your yogurt fell on the ground. And you're freaking out and and I'm supposed to show empathy and like, you know, care and that kind of stuff. And you don't have any idea of the stuff that's going on in my head and what I'm dealing with because grown up problems seem so big and right. kid <laughs> problems can often seem so small right. and that can just gut our ability to actually show genuine empathy to a kid oh, whose yeah. feelings and whose feelings and experience in life right. is genuine and real yeah. and intense for them. Well, think about the old saying, don't cry over spilt milk. That's a yeah. grown up response, right? Don't yeah. cry over spilt milk. It's just spilt milk. We got another, we got the whole carton in the refrigerator. Yeah. Like save your tears for stuff that matters. Right. But for a five-year-old that, that matters. I just yeah. spilt, they don't, they don't 
connect the dots that there's more milk or whatever the mm, case may be. Yeah. And so when you say to a, a, a junior hire, Hey, get over it. Mm. You'll make, more, you'll make new friends. We say, get over it and you'll make new friends. Like it's the easiest thing in the world, right? Their whole world just fell apart because mm. one of their best buddies picked on them or, or, or ignored them at school or they had a falling out. And so the ability to go, I got to, again, put myself in their shoes mm. and try to remember which is hard. Yeah. Um, because that requires usually hitting the pause button before we respond. Yeah. And most parents aren't good at that. I'm not good at that. Right. Like, oh, I, me you know, I mean, I, I, I respond now. Yeah. Well, if I can just hit pause for a couple seconds or maybe five minutes before I go upstairs and talk to my son about his attitude towards his mom or whatever, mm. my, whatever it might have been. Usually when I hit pause, I'm better off for it. I'm almost, I almost, I very rarely regret what happens next if I hit yeah. pause before. Yeah, that to- totally That's true. Good. You, you made me think of something, sorry, Jason, I'm cutting you off, but you're fine. There's a, uh, you, you made me think about, cause you, you talk about this idea of like, you know, you know, you lose a friend, it's like your world is falling apart. And it made me think of, there's, there was an analogy that, um, that a pastor that I used to know used that was really, I thought really wise. And he talked about how, you know, if, you're, if your world is the size of, say, this sheet of paper, and you put a problem in that thing, like, you know, the size of your phone, it's an enormous problem, because right. it, it feels well, like you it's have, a huge... You have one of those enormous phones. <laughs> I have a pretty big... It put minor Jason's normal, yeah, average man phone. <laughs> there you it, go. It, it Not, that be, you know. Not that big. Hey, is that a cell phone or a, <laughs> or a flat screen television? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel the analogy may be ruined. <laughs> no, please continue, Doug. Anyway, uh, I'll cut right to the chase. <laughs> so, you know, I think we, we measure our kids' problems against our world, not against their world. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we see them dealing with something that uh, actually is a big part of their world and really feels like a, a big challenge that they really need help figuring out and getting through, we measure it against our world and we just go, that's so tiny, that's so insignificant, right. so it's silly to be so worked up over that. But I think if we can just put ourselves in our kids' shoes, like you said, remember what it was like to be little. Remember what it was like to be in high school. Remember all the stresses and the emotions that came with that time of life and show a little bit of empathy and couple that with you know, hitting the pause button and responding yeah. at the proper time yeah. with some wisdom. Mm. Um, man, what a what a great way forward. This does not answer the pot the the pitfalls question, Jason. That's all right. This might be answering a question that you're not asking. I think it ties into the discipleship question. I, I think one other great way to disciple our kids. I'm not sure how much longer we have to talk. Please I'll just, I'll just, continue. I, I love this topic. Keep te- We're not running keep out of tape. No. <laughs> I think inviting your kids into your family's journey. Mm. is a great way to disciple them. What I mean mm. by that is obviously there's some stuff that our kids don't have to be privy to. But as they get older, there's probably a little bit less and less stuff that they shouldn't be privy to. Mm. So allowing them to, I don't know, be a little bit aware that finances are a little bit tough this month and we're going to pray and trust God to provide. Mm-hmm. allowing them to be a little bit aware that um, uncle Bob and aunt Susan um, are in a, in a place where they're struggling in their relationship a little bit, which is why aunt Susan didn't come to Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and talking about it. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to trust that God's going to, whatever's going on, that God's going to do a miracle in their relationship because God loves marriages, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. allowing our kids to be part of, 
of that journey appropriately is a great way for them to see that how our faith affects a whole bunch of our life in mm -hmm. ways that they didn't even realize was going on. Yeah. They didn't even know what was happening. We weren't allowed to talk about it. They observe, you know, our, our, our kids notice. Yes, they do. So why not sort of use that as a chance to infuse faith and a trust in Christ and a, the promises of his word into our, into our family's daily stuff. That's, yeah. And, and how and when and all that is, is to be determined, right? And it might look different for each family, but I think that's a, a powerful way to disciple our kids. It conveys trust, too, to a child. It does. I mean, yeah. it's saying, I'm trusting you with, with a big issue. I'm, right. I'm, I'm letting you in on something yeah. that's a big deal, and I'm going to help you process that. And I think there's—I think it begets future honesty, right? Right. You're, yeah, as you said, as kids are, are observant, and they can see what's going on, but also as they hear from other people their opinions about what's going on, too. Right. So mm -hmm. it's good to you know, make sure to have— our family values opinions. Yep. Yep. As a part of that. Yeah. Good. Parents can't say silent on those important issues because the rest of the world is not silent on, exactly. on exactly. what it thinks. Um, right. Kurt, you started by giving some hope to parents, which is great. So we'll kind of uh, move towards the end of, of, of the discussion with what would you say to a parent who's struggling right now? Mm. Well, I would, I think I would universally say it's going to be okay. You know, kind of like what we started with. Um, I've just seen it over and over and over again. Too many kids struggle and families struggle and God's faithfulness prevail. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen it over and over and over again. So it's very hard for me to lose that hope. Um, and then the other thing I think I would say is anything's better than nothing. So if a parent's struggling to have some kind of prayers with their kid or devotions and they, they're, he and his wife, or they've talked about, we need to do this, but it seems so daunting and we, we're not equipped. Well, you're doing nothing now. So give it a shot. Hmm. You know, like give it, like take, a, take a baby step. No. Yeah. And especially when they're young, you're, you're five month old isn't going to know that you're terrible at family devotions, <laughs> right? I mean, so you can practice, you can practice. Get that practice Amelia's going. Amelia's getting old enough to where she might realize, "Oh, dad's not very good at this." But but start start somewhere, right? Yeah. Hey, I know I need to pray for my my child, but I can't. I don't have 20 minutes a day to pray for my kids. Well, then don't pray 20 minutes a day. Pray for them 30 seconds a day when they hop out of the car when you drop them off at school. When you hear that that car door click, yeah. You let that car door closing be your trigger. I'm going to pray for 30 seconds for my kid. Mm -hmm. um, any effort is better than, than, than no effort. And baby steps matter. You know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. And baby steps do get you to where you're going. Yeah. And eventually those steps will get bigger and stronger and faster and all that good stuff. Yeah, but they add up. They add up. Mm -hmm. And then I think my third piece of encouragement would be um, just to always remember that your kids are, you're not going to ever, you know, there's no perfect parents. I'm not sure who we, you know, whatever, Billy Graham, Pastor Rick and Kay, whoever it is, they're not perfect parents. Yeah. There's, there's no such thing as perfect parents except for one, right? And our kids have a heavenly father who they are the apple of his eye mm -hmm. and he loves them dearly and he holds them in the palm of his hand 
and he in his sovereignty and his grace, Jeremiah 29, 11, I mean, he has, he has good plans for our kids. Hmm. And I think we can mess things up. I mean, parents do damage in kids, but it's harder to really truly mess them up than we think it is. And what I mean by that is God's love and his sovereignty and his plans for our lives are bigger and stronger and have a stronger grip on our kid's destiny than does our ability to mess that up. Mm. So hang in there, take some baby steps, be intentional, just live it life, live it yourself. Your kids will absorb it. And at the end of the day, you, you just say, God, they're your kids. I trust you. We're doing the best we can. I want to raise them to be lifelong followers of you who are interdependent and they want to make a difference in the world. Mm. And they'll be, they'll be great. Well, that wraps up our two-part interview with Doug and the guys over at the Doable Discipleship Podcast, Doug and Jason. And I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully, the last two episodes have given you as parents just a little bit of hope and help in your journey, in your efforts, as you disciple your kids, as you help them grow in their vitally important relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. As always, we would love for you to check out SaddlebackParents.com for all sorts of um, tips and tricks and hope and help and resources for you as you parent your children. We'll see you next time around.